When you got the right attitude, you will respond to life instead of reacting. Now, what I mean by that? Have you ever gone to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription and says, see me tomorrow? You walk in the next day and she shakes her head and says, uh-oh, your body is reacting to the medicine. We've got to change the prescription. You get nervous. But if she says, you know, hey, the prescription is working, your body is responding to treatment. Respond is positive. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we listen to a presentation clip from our guide, Zig Ziggler. He's talking about how to move from reacting to responding. And from this message that we're going to hear, I posted on my Facebook page at Agent K Miller, where so many of you keep friending me to join in the conversation, and please feel free to do that. But I ask, what is something in your life that you used to react to negatively that now you're able to more positively respond to? Uh, for example, a relationship or circumstance or job or finances, a handicap, whatever, but something that had a lot of negative control over your emotions. Uh, of course, we got incredible comments, but I think you'll be a bit surprised to the level, uh, depth of vulnerability that some people shared. So Michelle Prince and I then talked through it, an incredible conversation, but to kick us off right now, let's listen to this introductory presentation clip from Zig Ziglar. How many of you admit you're old enough to remember when computers first came out? Okay. Now, when they first came out, you know the language, ego, garbage in, garbage out. Well, I think all of us at one time or another might have heard that. Well, we have another one. That's true. It's absolutely true. You know, the Bible says, as you sow, so also shall you reap. We say you put the good stuff in to get the good stuff out. Now, that shouldn't be very difficult to understand because we're affected in attitude by so many different things. When you got the right attitude, you will respond to life instead of reacting. Now, what do I mean by that? Have you ever gone to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription and says, see me tomorrow? You walk in the next day and she shakes her head and says, uh-oh, your body is reacting to the medicine. We've got to change the prescription. You get nervous. But if she says, you know, hey, the prescription is working, your body is responding to treatment. Respond is positive. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been driving down the highway or down the, on your way to work, minding your business? You're neither positive nor negative. You're just kind of in neutral. And all of a sudden, some idiot, uh, you know, to be kind to him, pulls in front of you. You hit your brakes, you hit your horn, and you give him a big old fish and say, why don't you watch where you're going, you dummy? You could have hit me. We could have both been killed. But I got your tag number. And the next time I see you out here, it's going to be me and you. Okay. <laughs> You get to the office and what do you do? You tell the first person you see about that idiot on these streets out there. Must have been on drugs or drugs or something. I'm telling you, I can't believe the way people are doing that. You tell the second person you talk to about these crazy folks around you. And the third person and the fourth person. And in the meantime, the dude that did the dastardly deed rides merrily along. Doesn't have a clue that you even exist. And yet he's in complete control of you, your attitude. Affecting the way you do your job, affecting the way you affect other people, building a ceiling over you that is a low ceiling, far lower than you're capable of reaching, simply because you reacted instead of responded. 
Okay, folks, let's dig now into these Facebook comments again to the question, what is something in your life that you used to react to negatively that now you are able to more positively respond to? Okay, Michelle, so coming from that zig clip and asking people what is something in their life they used to react to, you know, negatively that uh, had control, negative control over their emotions that they are now more able to positively respond to. So uh, I'm going to dive in. There's some great ones here that I'm sure will pull plenty out of us from our own stories uh, in this light. All right. Well, so Patricia says, for a long time, I was ultra sensitive to feeling rejected or abandoned. It caused me incredible pain and was a major contribution to a very serious mental health crisis. I'm incredibly grateful for the support and growth that have helped me reformulate my thoughts and feelings about this. Well, so in peeking ahead, I, we're, we're real quick to see a thread of where people are changing how they respond to something. Like she said, reformulating is a great, a great terminology, even though the, you know, the circumstance may not have changed, the environment may not have changed. And, and in this sense, I don't know if she's responding, you know, relating to that she was able to change her beliefs or just her, her feelings and emotions. But my gosh, we get caught up in stuff. That was, of course, the whole point of Zig's talk and, and this. And we have to do that. We have to, as the Bible says, renew our minds daily. So uh, I like the reformulation uh, aspect of this. I do too. And, and, you know, something that she said was the uh, felt feeling like she was abandoned at, at one point. And it's possible that maybe that's something that happened when she was young. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, there's, there's just so many things that happen to us in life that we, we have really no choice. And, and it really is a decision whether you respond or re, you react. And it doesn't mean that you like what happened, but it just means that you, you reformulate, you know, what it is that, that and, or how you perceive it. And so I think yeah. that's fantastic that she's able to reframe it and, and change it, you know, based on her experiences. I do too. And I think that aspect feeling rejected or abandoned, I think it's easy to push off even for myself to think, oh my gosh, I was raised in a great family, lots of love and support. Mm-hmm. And yet even there, I think we still have areas where we feel like this part of me is not acceptable. And even from a performance standpoint, if I don't perform to the best, I'm not, I'm not as acceptable as much. I don't like myself as much. I mean, it can be self-inflicted even, but I, as I, as I go along in life, looking at myself and others, I think we all deal with you know, we're all on a spectrum. My business partner likes to say, you know, we are any of us perfect anywhere. We're all on a spectrum. Where are we on the spectrum of, in some aspects, feeling rejected or abandoned or just fearing that? You uh, know, I, I think we all have it. And in fact, when we were posing this question, and as I was first thinking about this uh, recording, it's, you know, the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of what's something that you responded to, you used to respond to negatively, and now you respond to positively. For me, it was worrying about what people think. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, to some degree, we all still do. And I think a lot of this comes with maturity and age. But there was a time in my life that I would be so caught up and so worried about what my you know, high school classmates thought or, you know, mm. the neighbors or whoever that it really it, 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 uh, it affected me very negatively. And, and so now I, I just have a different frame of reference and it's just, you know, oh, well, different strokes for different folks and not everybody's going to like you and, you know, you can't change people's thoughts and opinions. And so anyway, that's the first thing I thought of when we, th- we were about to do this show. And it's just, it seems very common. 
Well, and talk about a spectrum because the other side of that, and we've all met people who literally, you can tell they do not give a flip and <laughs> generally they're jerks, you know, I mean, yes. to not have any social awareness. I mean, cause I don't care what people think about me anymore. Well, then you're a jerk. Um, mm -hmm. I, again, there's that healthy balance as uh, some pastor once told me a long time ago, as he was looking at different sides of the coin, even in scripture that we generally in health, we're living in tension. Uh, it's not black and white. There's gray and there's, uh, there's a quid pro quo to everything. Well, so there you go. So we're going to keep, you'll, you'll hear this thread keep coming up here as we read. So D says, I used to get mad at my mom's comments and am usually a calm person, but her comments were often negative and unsolicited. See that she loves me, that she loves me and is giving negative feedback because she's trying to help me. When she makes negative comments, I now say, I think you're trying to be helpful. Uh, so thank you. And I mean it. I changed the filter of my listening since I could not change the things she said. And right after that, Ken responded. She, he said, I, I really like your comment on how you changed the filter because you couldn't change the things she said. I mean, how often is that, Michelle? I mean, when we always, I think we, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over or, you know, expecting this circumstance or this environmental thing to change. It's not going to. The only thing we have to control is ourselves, which D so well puts it out in. Out I here. love Dee's comment because I can so relate to it from both sides because, you know, my mom and I, I love her so much and dearly, but you know, she's, she's looking out for me. So she'll sometimes share things that yeah. maybe I do want to hear or don't want to hear. Um, but I, if I filter it incorrectly, I can, I can feel, you know, like she was coming from a different place, but on the other end of it, I'm a mom. And, you know, I give advice to my boys all the time. And they're even in this last week, one of my sons, you know, I, I gave some unsolicited advice, but it was coming from the place of, I love you. I care about you. I feel like I know what's best for you. I have more wisdom than you. Um, I didn't say that of course, but right. I, so I can understand it, you know, on, on both sides, but being on the receiving end of it, though, the filtering, Dee's got that absolutely right. That's exactly what you have to do because, you know, parents, they're, they're doing the best they can with what they know and what they have. Yeah. And, and their job is to care for you and protect you and, and, and help you. And so we have to filter it from those yeah. thoughts. Well, she, it also made me just think of that, especially with you know, parents and, and loved ones that we all have. Well, gosh, you know, we, we've uh, done the interview um, Gary Chapman has the book, the five love languages that mm -hmm. we all experience love more or less in different ways. And I mean, how many marital relationships, my, my wife and I have, have constantly dealt with that, that I tend to love in the way I want to be loved. That may not be the way that she wants to be. Loved. <laughs> we have to learn that, but also how can we get to the point of, of giving grace to each other? I think a lot of people, it, learn to do that with their parents and say, I know they're loving me. They're not, they're loving me in a way that's, oh, it's difficult, but how can I just give them credit for the effort to love me, even if it's in their way? And I think there's great freedom in that. It's not always the most fun thing that we want to do uh, or, or cope with, but it's a big deal. Uh, and I got to tell you, my wife gave me a card one time and it was, it's, it may sound bad, but I, I got it. <laughs> if anybody has, has seen it, it's the Tyrannosaurus Rex with its little bitty arms, mm -hmm. you know, saying, I love you this much. <laughs> and, and then the corresponding one is going, that's not very much, <laughs> but it's all I got. You know, it's, it's funny, but I think that's how we often feel <laughs> in those relationships. Uh, I yeah. love it. I can just visualize that, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. 
Uh, okay, so Daniel says uh, this is this is going to be appropriate for a lot of people. So, well, goodness gracious, I, I you know this is a question that we posted on Facebook, so anybody who who is on there is going to understand this. Daniel says topics or debates on social media with insignificant people. Now I never engage in those and often keep much of my knowledge to myself unless they are close friends. I'm less heated through the week and I can focus more on positive thoughts. Uh, that one, I mean, how often I do, I do a pretty frequent scroll of the Facebook wall just to see, you know, I can see what family members are doing, my parents or brothers and sisters or, uh, or friends around, but the stuff you see on there and the petty things that people discuss. And I say petty, even though I know some of the issues, like lately we have gun control and it's volatile and people mm-hmm. really care. And I think rightly so, but the discussions that they have online, yeah, I see. Oh my gosh. What, what are we giving our energy to? Mm-hmm. And that they're expending so much energy, so much emotion, so much of their heart, uh, on here to people that they don't know much about for the most part. There's not, you know, they're not entwined and there's people right around them that sure could use that emotional energy. Uh, and it is odd. I, I think we do a lot of harm Yeah, in these social media arenas, of having debates with people when it comes down to, we're not going to change them. I saw somebody posted a something one time. It was something like, you know, your rant on YouTube or your rant on Facebook really changed my thinking for the better. Said no one ever. <laughs> Said no one ever is right. <laughs> yeah. It's just us all getting our panties in a wad. And I don't think that it does impact much of anybody. People, uh, well, there you go. So Daniel related that and is saying, I'm less, I love that. I am just less heated through the week mm-hmm. and can focus more on positive thoughts by not engaging in that stuff. Uh, I think it's a good lesson. You know, I, I think I'm so glad he brought that up because there is a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff on social media, but, and even in the news, I mean, we have to really be very, very careful what we fill our minds with. So if we're filling it with all of this negativity and we're filling it with these rants and all that, first of all, you have to ask, well, how is that making you feel? And, and secondly, I'm, I'm very solution oriented. You know, I'm all for people having an opinion, but if you don't have a solution, to your rant, then don't, then don't do it. Keep it to yourself or do it in your bedroom, but don't give it to the world. I just feel like most things on social media are just so problem focused and not solution focused. And it's so easy to point fingers. It's so easy to give your opinion, but if you're not going to be part of the solution, be quiet is kind of my opinion. <laughs> I, hey, I love it. And it reminds me, I think it was, you know, Zig that had that funny quote about every once in a while, he would check out the news just to see what the enemy was up to. <laughs> You want to know what's going on on both sides, right? Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was exactly. And I do think about that when I look at the cover of USA Today and so much of it is sensationalism and just flat out paid ads that we can't tell the difference between anymore. And the same thing with Facebook that you go on there and a lot of times people post positive things and neat things that are happening in their life. And that is great to see. But all the rest of the fodder, you know, sometimes I'll look at it just to say, hey, this is a conversation that's happening uh, amongst people. It is altering them. So the next person I meet face to face may be a product of that. So I do want to know what's going on. But my gosh, I'm not going to sit and give energy. My, this finite energy I have that my, my friends, families, business partner uh, that they need, I'm not going to give it out there. So, uh, but I have to, I have to keep, I have to keep alert of it too, because you can, you can see a topic there that hits a boner thinking, you serious? I got to speak to that. It's tempting. uh, It's very tempting, tempting. (laughs) but solution focused, stay solution focused. I like it. I like it. 
Uh, Jennifer says, I used to try and plan things to include everybody. And when people didn't respond, according to my grand plans, I would stew for days. Now I say, this is what I'm doing. If anybody wants to join along for it, uh, fine. If not, that's fine too. It made me think of you and me talking about being people Mm -hmm. pleasers that I, if I'm going to host, I want it to be the best experience somebody else has had. And if they're not paying attention to my experience, I can get a little, uh, stewing, you know, and this is so tough because I've, being on, on that side of it, I, I've, I remember, and there have been many times in my life where I've invited more people than I probably should to an event. What comes to mind is my wedding. Mm. <laughs> you know, not that we had a, a ton of money, but I just felt like if I worked with them, if I met them, if I had knowledge that they had to come to my, had to come to my wedding. And, and there comes a point where maybe that's healthy. Maybe it's not because you do want to people please and you want everybody to come, but then not worrying if they don't. You know, I, I, I think like, you know, just like what Jennifer said, you know, that that can bother you if they don't all come. But just knowing that not everybody's just sitting around waiting for your invitation. They have things going on and it's not personal. It's not you if they don't come. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, and I know in some of mine, I felt responsible for people's feelings and for their experience. And I took it was a God complex that's well. I'm not him. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well here, Jerry says, I used to be a perfectionist. It kept me from being creative because my ideals were so high that anything I did in the real world could never live up to the ideal in my head. A few years ago, I started writing books and have now published several. It helped me to let go of my perfectionism and see that excellence can still be achieved. Uh, well, there you go. There's a, there's a plug for writing books, Michelle. <laughs> for sure. And if there's anything to get you over the hump of perfectionism, it is definitely writing books because you can't be perfect in, in writing. No. You know, I think that many people can relate to what uh, Gary is saying, though, it, especially business owners, entrepreneurs, people who maybe even want to step out into the world of entrepreneurship is, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you keep waiting for that perfect time, the right time and and as you and I both know, there is no right time and it's not always easy, but it is so worth it, mm-hmm. but not being so caught up in it, having to be perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so too. I love that. Yeah. From an entrepreneurial standpoint that I, I like to take on a lot. I like to have big goals. And in that yeah, there's just at some point pretty quick, there's no room for perfectionism. And I appreciate it. Gosh, it was an interview we just recently did. I don't think it's published yet, but we're, uh, the guy we interviewed said, you know, on, on most days I have to just figure out what balls I'm okay dropping. Mm-hmm. And man, I can relate to that. Cause I just, I have put enough out there and, and that's not a, that's not a, I'm not touting that. That's my, you know, that's what, that's what makes me tick somewhat. I like to have a lot going on and that's not to make that better. Uh, but in that I have to realize I'm going to drop some balls and that's hard, especially if it's going to may disappoint people, but boy, it sure cures perfectionism. Cause yeah, as you said, it's just, and one more, impossible. one more thing along those lines too, is a lot of times what we learned that brings us to the next level came from a mistake. I mean, I think of so many mm. things I did wrong in my life or in my business. And it's because of that experience that it made me go a different direction or it made me go to the next level. And so I sometimes being perfect doesn't allow us to make those mistakes that we desperately need to get where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah. It was my wife that got me long ago with let's not ruin good with perfect. Mm. And, uh, I think about that. I think about that a lot. Well, here is one that, uh, well, here you go. Kingsley says, 
Having grown up in a homophobic culture and having been molested as a teenager, I reacted negatively towards anyone who identified as a homosexual for many years. Having chosen to forgive my molester after more than 20 years uh, and gotten to understand more about homosexuality, now I have made friends with a few who are, and I now respond more positively towards a person who identifies as one. That's very specific, and talk about a, a topic that's high high in the media these days. That is one, that, and that's big, and that may sound like an isolated thing, but I appreciate Kingsley pointing that out. That is something that that he reacted to, and now he is finding a way, he has pursued a way to respond to it. And if anybody had a right to be reactive and to stand on that, I would say it was somebody who was molested uh, like he has been. So if he can do it, I think we all can, is what that sounds like for me. Well, I just appreciate the fact that he shared that because I know there are many people listening who have been violated or hurt or you know, abused in some way, and they do feel very negatively toward that person mm-hmm. or group or association. And so, but I, what I'm hearing in, in his uh, post is so much freedom in just letting mm-hmm. go of that. And it also, to me, just sounds like forgiveness and grace that it may not be something that you accept, but it may be that you can forgive and and find, you know, acceptance, I guess, of it in a way. Oh, I agree, too. Yeah, it's not. And that's one of those hard areas where you don't want to condone something no. like him being molested. But, I, you know, I, I so often find myself coming back to, again, it's that scripture of, you know, how do you why point out a splinter in somebody else's eye when you have a plank in your own? Uh, or, or Jesus with the, the woman who was to be stoned and he who is without sense cast the first stone. I find myself uh, e- even recently saying, okay, I don't have any stones to throw here either, <laughs> but we got to talk about this. But I, I don't because I don't. Have, none of us do have any stones to throw. We've all got our stuff. We all uh, have our that's stuff. A, that's for sure. That's a, that's a big one. Kingsley, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Well, Christopher says uh, his issue is whenever he feels, or it was in the past, that he was blatantly disrespected. He said, I used to react as though their behavior towards me was somehow, di- somehow diminished me, uh, and I would engage in mortal combat to fight for my honor. After growing physically and spiritually, I've come to realize that their disrespect is a reflection of their internal condition And my response is a reflection of mine. By not responding in fury to defend my family's name and honor, I am not impacted in any way unless I choose to believe that their disrespect is revealing a truth in me that's valid. Well, that's a a big leap. That is. And talk about just the wisdom that comes with that. I mean, it's tough, especially if everybody has a hot button. And if it's disrespect for, you know, Christopher, I have my own, you have your own. And so when it happens... You know, some people it's lying or whatever it is, but when it happens, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to change that up. What's interesting is that what he was saying is in the past he would blow up, which mm-hmm. you were disrespected, but yet, but then you respond in the way that you don't want someone to respond to you. And, and so it, it, that's a tough one, but it, but to, to have that insight and wisdom to know that, okay, I don't, doesn't, doesn't mean I, I accept this doesn't mean that I, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm not going to step down yeah. to your level and go where you are. Yes. Yeah. Goodness. That is one where, um, you know, on that, something you said there, Michelle, I learned early on in the, the podcasting days and even back just when email newsletters were the big thing and you're growing an audience and you're speaking things and you're trying to be personal that every once in a while you get somebody 
who would just rake you over the coals. I, I, I've had my, uh, my faith questioned, uh, you know, by people and so many things. And I would retaliate mm-hmm. uh, and I would eviscerate them with words, you know, coming back to where I'd put them in a corner. And finally somebody, and I, I, I'm ashamed that I don't remember who, but they said, you know what? It probably is coming from somebody who's just got a gripe that you were the chosen target today, but you're not going to hurt yourself to also, just like Christopher said, to consider it. Is there anything in there that could have a little grain of truth, grain of truth, a little thing that pushed them? It, maybe if it pushed them, it's pushing other people a little bit too. They're just not jerks about it mm-hmm. or, you know, coming from that. But is there, so I've, I've tried to do that, but boy, I've, I can feel Christopher on that with just blatant, you know, disrespect or harsh criticism from somebody out there in, in the audience. Uh, yeah, I can have some hard feelings towards that and have had to grow. I am in the same place and it's not easy. Um, something that I remember, I think Julie Ziegler had said that uh, when she was young, they would be in a restaurant. If somebody was rude, you know, to always be kind to the, the wait staff, even if they're, they're rude to mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and the reminder that hurt people hurt people. So, if, if we keep that in perspective, that that person who just, you know, was rude to you on the highway or that person, that customer service rep that was just really, really rude or, or, or somebody calling in or somebody emailing, commenting on whatever it is, they're giving their two cents. It may not have anything to do with you. And it may just mean that they have been hurt or they're hurting. Yeah. And, and if we can keep that perspective, I think it just allows you to release that, that anger toward them. Um, easier said than done, of course. Oh my gosh, but yeah. but I just thought think that's a great reminder. Hurt people yeah. will hurt people. Yes, yes, and easier said than done. It's so easy to nod my head, and yet when I'm in the midst of it, I know it's difficult. This is interesting, Jennifer, and it's actually the Jennifer that responded earlier uh, with something. She she as she's obviously was looking through these. She said there's a running theme through all these comments, and it's disappointment at the way things, life, people should be. We constantly forget we live in a fallen world. And it brought that old cliche up to me, Michelle, of expectations being premeditated resentments. And I think mm-hmm. about that so much that, uh, like somebody said above, my, my expectations for myself are high. My expectations of others are high. My expectations of life and fulfillment are high, and and I think that that's good. But when it comes to people, comes to relationships, especially which obviously people are relating to a lot here, those can those are dangerous. Man, I have to watch that. It's a continual. It's like a tattoo that I need. Is Kevin watch your expectations? Watch your expectations, especially again of other people. I can expect great things, but when it comes to other people, so it's interesting that she pulled that out Mm. of this relatively, you know, short thread here. And it's so true. It's, it's, it's a actually great insight into all of us. And what went through my mind as you were saying that I was envisioning, there's a meme that I've seen it on Facebook or social media, and it's a picture of, of Jesus or no, a little girl holding a teddy bear. Right. And, and she's just holding a teddy bear and she's standing in front of Jesus and he's holding his hand out saying, you know, give it to me, give it to me. And she's like, no, no, no. And, but, but behind his back, he has this gigantic teddy bear. He's just waiting to give to her, but only until, only if she gives the little bear. And what I'm going, where I'm going with this is, is expectations and why we get disappointed. A lot of times what we're disappointed in is what we set up to believe is the best for us, but it doesn't mean that it is the best for us. Meaning a lot of times these disappointments are all part of the process. And had we not gone through those things or had we not, you know, experienced those disappointments, would we be the same person we are today? 
goodness. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But I, I just think of it that way. Sometimes our disappointments and expectations are just based on our own human fleshly uh, desires, but not necessarily based on what's best for us. Gosh, and that's, part of the grander plan. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's huge. I love that. I love that picture. I don't know if I've seen it, but I can sure and visualize that. I think we often, I had a friend once say that God's got this buffet for us and we often are going, no, 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 I'm fine. And we just make do with the scraps. Always haunted me a little bit. All right. Well, I'm going to end this on two. I'm going to read them both because as you'll see, they are very similar. Marvin says, I used to get super defensive when my wife would call me out for a character flaw or even where, when she would vent her emotions, defensiveness was just my default reaction. Then I discovered the verse that refers to God, to God as my defense. Uh, it took a ton of pressure off both of us. Our marriage is better. Literally, this is just how the thread fell. Justin, right after him, says, There are many things that used to bother me a great deal more than they do now, but if I were to pick one, it would be taking criticism. No one likes it, but I've grown to where I don't just react immediately. This is easier in work life, but I'm also making progress at taking criticism from my wife. That is harder. But the points go much deeper, so it's worth it to me to become adept at accepting my wrongs there. Well, Michelle, you and I are both married folk, Mm -hmm. and um, we have lots of relationships and lots of different arenas, but I would have to say that I understand these guys in having sometimes, you you would want to say you'd want to take more gravity and give more value to criticism, constructive criticism from a spouse. But I know that myself, sometimes I tend to have less grace right off there. I want, I want affirmation from my spouse, affirm me, approve of me, fill me. I don't want uh, constructive criticism. Uh, so I, I get these, I get these folks. You do. I definitely do. And I can already tell you your love language probably is affirmations <laughs> as is mine. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it yeah. is, maybe it's not, but. But it's true. It is hard. And sometimes it's hardest to take that criticism from somebody that you love the most because you do want them to, because they know the real you, the true you, and you want them to to see the best in you. But, you know, is we know these things to be true, but sometimes it's hard to accept. But, but those, that critique, maybe it's not criticism, but maybe it's just an opportunity for growth and just bringing it into awareness. And I guess it goes back to what we, we started with, with our parents, you know, just coming from the filter of they love you. They want the best for you. They're not trying to harm you. And it's just remembering that in the moment. It is. And the one, you know, from a spouse standpoint too, you think, gosh, the best criticism I sh- the most valuable criticism for myself should be from my spouse. They see me mm-hmm. the most raw and real. So I should be able to get the best value. And yet I think it's because of that exact same reason. This person does really know me that when I do get the criticism man, I can't really deny it. And it, it can be, it can be hurtful. And of course we can do it wrong. This is, here's a little, this is a soapbox. Can I have a real quick? Please soapbox? do. <laughs> okay. Is that I think we come into a marital relationship and just think, okay, come on, we know each other. Can we just not do the dance and just give it to each other straight? And I think sometimes it's almost takes more dancing because it is so sensitive and we sometimes don't extend the grace and the dance and the nuance that we would to a coworker or to a friend, to our spouse and go back to the counseling one-on-one. And before giving a criticism, give three affirmations or or whatever. I mean, that stuff, we would do it with our kids or, you know, we should be doing it with our kids. But I think I maybe, or maybe it's just my marriage. Sometimes we, 
forget to do that and we want to just go, come on, can we just not go through all that and just kind of be lazy? Just, ah, just give it to you. Can you just deal with right. it? And I think, uh, at least on the receiving end, often I'm going, no, no, I could have used a little dancing. <laughs> a little more grace hard. from you, a little more affirmation, <laughs> yeah. a little less yeah. criticism. Well, I, I just appreciate you guys. Oh my gosh. What, what author, I feel like every show we do, the comments from everyone incredible. are just more real, more authentic and lead us into deeper areas than we would ever get. Otherwise I'm so grateful and just always such a gift. I think you and I are always on such a same wavelength, mm-hmm. Michelle, it's a gift to do it with you. So same thank here. you for your own vulnerability and authenticity in these. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Okay. Friends, I hope this has you really pondering what things in your life you react to and how you can more positively and peacefully respond. Again, huge thanks to all who shared so deeply. And if you would want to offer your experience and wisdom for these weekly Q&A shows with Michelle Prince and I, find me on Facebook at agentkmiller.com, or actually just Agent K. Miller, and you can join the conversation. And again, if you found value, please help us out. Leave a review in iTunes. That helps other people find us and know what they can experience uh, and what value they can get from us as well. Well, coming up next in show 555, we talk with a legend, Guy Kawasaki. I just returned from social media marketing world in San Diego and Guy was a featured speaker. Uh, The Ziegler team and I got to spend about half an hour with him just to pick his brain and get to know him better. He has an incredible pedigree. He was the chief evangelist of Apple and a trustee of the Wikimedia Foundation. He's the author of The Art of the Start 2.0. Uh, The Art of Social Media, the book Enchantment, and nine other books. Guy has a BA from Stanford University and an MBA from UCLA. Today, Guy is the chief evangelist of Canva, an online graphic design tool, and a brand ambassador for Mercedes-Benz. You'll hear about that some here in the uh, the show. He's got over 10 million followers on social media, and it's just an incredibly influential and unique individual. So you're going to enjoy this show. Well, till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 